Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Design to Product podcast, where we talk about getting a product from design to a manufactured product. We're here about the journeys of people who build products, design for manufacturing, new technologies, and much more. I'm Adario Host today, and I'm the CEO of Giga. And if you were an engineering team or a sourcing team that has to outsource manufacturing, you probably know what I'm talking about. You have to email back and forth, but uh, some suppliers just can't make your part. And then you have to check if that's delivered. So a lot of problems that happen in that process. And if you know what I'm talking about, so you can make it more efficient, get better terms and just go to jigagiga.io and we will help you. Our guest today is Yash Bandari, Business Development Manager at Additive Technologies. Yash, hello. Welcome to the show. Hi, Dan. Thanks for having me on. So tell us a little bit maybe about Additive Technologies, about what you do. Additive Technologies is a wholly US-based company based out of uh, Palm City, Florida. Additive Technologies, um, Akar Tech, was founded in uh, 2015 um, in Nevada. Right from day one, Aditech's uh, um, goal was to innovate um, how metal products are uh, manufactured. So that is why um, right from 2015 until 2019, Aritech has been successful in creating uh, prototype systems using a novel additive process called uh, laser metal deposition with wire and slash or powder. Yeah, and so so you deal with the additive manufacturing for for years now, and uh, one of the things you're dealing with right now is metal additive manufacturing. The industry has gone through some interesting developments. Uh, what what did you see throughout the years, and what happens now? When I started my like the AM venture in uh, 2010, at that point, additive manufacturing, um, more so it was called 3D printing. Um, it was just like a buzzword. You know, everybody was talking about it. Um, they were still, you know, trying to get uh, details more about the 3D printing. What exactly is 3D printing? Where, where exactly it is used? And how can, um, you know, an industry leverage uh, 3D printing process uh, at that point? And um, most of them, um, they were making these 3D printing parts um, using these plastics. And then came uh, these desktop level, uh, you know, 3D printers uh, out of, again, plastics and uh, polymers. Um, so that's how, you know, it got started, um, you know, right from the buzzword. And then over the last 10 years, I've seen giant leaps. I've seen a giant leaps in uh, additive manufacture, uh, moving from just the toys uh, or from prototype parts um, to actually, you know, now, um, you know, creating, um, fabricating parts uh, for real life scenarios, um, you know, right from the aerospace to space to energy sectors. And where do you see like the opportunities there? So where do you see like uh, if if engineers or or people who build products that listen to us right now, where can they use additive manufacturing developments in order to make better products? It's versatile. You know, technology, additive manufacture is uh, versatile. Um, Although I said, having said that, um, I should say that the aerospace sector has been the forefront runners, you know, right from uh, early you know, or late 90s uh, to early uh, 2000s, they were the first ones, um, you know, who put put forward the step and, uh, you know, wanted to um, come out of this conventional way of manufacturing and then uh, um, opt for uh, additive manufacture. Clearly, their, uh, you know, their um, 
their materials are like mostly like titaniums and aluminums, uh, which have high strength to weight ratio. And um, and as you know, like titaniums, they're very expensive, um, you know, in general, and also they're very difficult to machine as well. So every um, bit of saving is uh, a win-win situation um, for both the industry and uh, the aerospace uh, companies. Um, so yeah, they were the forefront runners, and uh, they invested a lot in uh, metal additive manufacture. And uh, now, over the last you know ten years or so, um, different sectors, you know, different sectors like uh, energy sector, um, especially, um, and uh, space sector. Recently, we have been seeing you know the rocket parts being built using um, metal additive manufacturing. So that's a you know giant step. And uh, when I was um, you know traveling and uh, you know to different trade shows um, like you know five to six years ago. Uh, when I was talking to customers coming from, you know, castings or, you know, automobile industries, um, they weren't, you know, that open and flexible uh, to try out new way of manufacturing, which is uh, 3D printing here. And uh, now they are uh, very much flexible and uh, trying out uh, new ways. Um, I mean, it's it's kind of you know difficult um, you know like everybody wants to get into additive manufacture, but uh, they don't know where to start. So that's where my role is, uh, uh, going through um, you know, with the customer, uh, going through the numbers, uh, crunching down you know the numbers, um, coming up with business cases. Um, at the end of the day, you know people are realizing that uh, additive manufacturing can't replace everything with respect to manufacturing. Um, it, it's case by case. You know, material plays an important uh, role, uh, and then the dimensions of the part play an important role. And uh, additive manufacture, um, you know, is, um, you know, right now is in a such a position that at least, you know, uh, most of the systems can make uh, good geometries. The best parts, uh, I would say, but the best parts, uh, there's still a long way, um, like calling, getting getting through the QA and QCs, um, getting through the standards. Um, so all of these things are uh, a few bottlenecks. Right. So people come and, and ask you, I want to start with additive manufacturing. Where do I start? What do you tell them? Like, where are the places where they can start implementing this technology? Because some people know, yeah, they know that you can make more complex ge geometries. You know that you can have more possibility, get better costs for parts, like break the limits of design. But where does it make sense and where does it not? I, I mean, the best part about my job is I get to talk to people um, who are very novice uh, with respect to additive and then who are like, you know, top experts um, in additive. Um, so uh, on the far end of the spectrum, people who don't know uh, where to start additive manufacture. Um, the best thing about uh, additive manufacture, I tell to them, is uh, you have, um, you know, several different processes. Um, that's the beauty of additive, uh, additive manufacture process where you can pick choose depending upon the material, depending upon the application, um, depending upon the geometry. So broadly, I would classify, um, you know, metal AM, you know, most specifically into um, two types, um, powder bed fusion processes and uh, DED processes. Um, if a part is small, you know, complex, uh, which has like fine features, um, you know, mostly it will be coming under uh, powder bed fusion processes. And uh, on the other side, if a part is uh, relatively simple, you know, simple to medium complexity, and um, you know, it could be small or medium or large scale component, um, then in that case, uh, it's mostly um, most likely that will come under uh, DED. Uh, but irrespective of which process it goes, um, I think uh, the geometry is the one 
which defines uh, the business case. There might be some simple geometries where you don't have to use uh, additive manufacture. So in that case, probably the existing, the conventional manufacturing, uh, it could be subtractive or it could be forging or um, casting might be okay. You know, the cost, because at the end of the day, um, additive manufacturing is still a new process. Um, so it takes a little bit of effort to fine tune the R&D and then get to the standards, uh, check all the things in the, in the standards and then come to the, you know, the final, uh, you know, goal. For all these things, uh, it'll take some time. And then, uh, you know, unless we put down the numbers, uh, it's very difficult to, um, you know, forecast which part makes sense uh, for a customer. So, yeah, um, the first and foremost is uh, the geometry. Uh, the second yeah. is uh, the material. And then uh, the third is the application. So all these three put together um, is something, uh, you know, I'm always interested to know. And uh you know, I can guide them uh, which um, process uh, makes sense. So just to just to uh, understand, so geometry, complex geometry, geometry that is hard to to create with subtractive manufacturing or conventional methods are now suddenly more possible, and and that's one of the things that can be useful. Maybe getting more lightweight components uh, is also a consideration. Is that is that right? So, what kind of applications would would I, we tell to an engineer that, yeah, now you can you have an opportunity to think differently about the way you design and to build that component for a new technology that that they might not have been aware of. Like in a way, if it is a long component, um, you know, it's a um, made made out made out of like titaniums and nickel based alloys. Um, probably, you know, it's easy to create a business case um, for DED processes. Again, under DED processes, um, you know, you have uh, you know, four main processes, um, I, I, like depending upon, you know, the features or the, depending upon the size, thickness um, and material, um, you know, we can pick choose uh, one out of uh, those four DED processes. Um, but at the end of the day, it doesn't happen, um, you know, over a you know, fortnight, I would say. Um, it takes uh, a few weeks to a few months to, um, you know, a few years as well uh, to qualify the material too, you know, so, and everything is... Uh, you know, driven by costs, like how people are, uh, you know, flexible and open-minded um, to try these, um, you know, approaches um, is the key. So these are the drivers uh, for additive manufacture. And um, for, for some scenarios, um, you know, if you put down the numbers um, and then, um, you know, crunch down, the business case might not be um, there. So in that case, probably you know just a subtractive keep manufacturing. Going, keep doing the same uh, the same things that you used to do. Exactly, because in because in additive manufacturing, it's just not about printing parts. Uh, that's where uh, you know uh, people think about you know that's just uh, you know like the fifty percent of it. The, the six the rest of the fifty percent is um, you know are you getting the you know good parts? You know what I call it as born qualified parts. So the parts coming out of uh, the printer are they good enough to be put in an aircraft? Um, you know, that's a big question, right? I mean, I, I always take uh, aerospace industry, um, you know, as, as an example, because they have stringent conditions. Um, if you're able to achieve like aerospace standards, then you don't have to worry for um, different sectors. Actually. So it takes time um, to first print the part itself, you know, figure out the R&D, figure out, uh, you know, all the process effects. And then the second thing is, are you getting good properties? Um, or And so that is a big thing, you know, and then, uh, that's a very good uh, metallurgy uh, question. If you're not able to achieve what's going on, then you have to do um, a lot of reverse engineering. So what's the bottleneck? Is it the process or is it just the hardware 
or is it the what type of performance you know they're looking at like you know is it like tensile fatigue um or like corrosion resistance um so all of these things put together um it takes a lot of time later a lot of effort um but people are realizing now that um you spend time now you don't have to spend time uh, later uh, it's a long term shot not a sprint um so if it, I mean, th- th- this where um, i'm seeing people being more open more flexible um you know apart from uh, you know the the aerospace business uh, right and what do you see right now in the market like where is it heading in the future which applications could be interesting and what are the trends like what what about cost that might be changing tell us what you see um yeah i keep an eye on uh, you know our competitors i would say uh, you know on all the am processes um so right now um you know it manufacturer is at a stage where there are uh, a lot of companies you know a lot of uh, processes you know a lot of uh, you know newbies um the good thing is um at least you know they are able to come up with some new um, and rigid reliable systems um so that at least you can uh, print parts um but what my gut says uh, for the next uh, 5 to 10 years is um you know anybody can build parts but can you build according to the standards um you know are or the first of all do you know the standards um you know if you're in you know for example oil and gas component do you know the standard for from with respect to that you know oil and gas specifications or from the material standpoint you know and a uh, couple of things um you know are missing so as to make uh, this additive more robust um is the reliability of the systems itself um because there's not much of a date there's not much of data um you know where you can see oh which system you know is you know because most of these companies are like you know maybe like 5 to you know 10 year old so there's no not much of a data you know what type of you know um you know what type of features are there in each system and what type of features are needed uh, to qualify a part so um i would classify into three main types um the first is the reliability and the system development um so there's no not much of a data which system is good which system has all the uh, features um, you know it could be hardware or it could be um software too um i know software is like most underrated but software is also very much important and uh, what different systems are capable of doing uh, or what materials can they print um and i'm sure like every day we come across <laughs> every new material um so can we place that traditional uh, you know material with an you know additive material so as to you know get the cost and uh, you know times are down and then the design tools you know mm-hmm. so this applies to uh, most of the processes in additive manufacture you know if yeah. you have a part you know if you have a cad model can you use the part as is uh, in most of the scenarios not not sure mm-hmm. um in, in that case do you have a design for additive software where you yeah. you know uh, from part to dis- part to build design how would you change them um and then you have like knowledge expert system inside the software um, or not or what about computer aided planning um so all these put together are the design tools i would say um so system developments materials and uh, the design tools um constitute uh, the bottlenecks uh, you know at the moment and uh, um and i'm not sure if uh, you know a lot of companies are uh, Uh, have these tools within their uh, grasp but uh, yeah, because it's like special them. tools that uh, you have to get out of this of your probably for solid works or, or any any other cad design tool that you have to uh, work with in order to be able to get to design for for additive manufacturing specifically 
these are all the you know things that are missing which will mature you know which will mature these uh, additive uh, processes like some processes um that are like mrl um you know six seven um on the other side some processes are uh, at a low mrl stage so how, how can we you know how can, how can these processes you know move from you know low mrl stage to the high mrl stage because um, this is the one you know which uh, you know highlights uh, what process is best for the real life uh, scenarios um, it could be you know materials perspective or it could be a hardware thing or it could be the auxiliary processes or it could be um, anything the design uh, uh, related uh, processes so all this put together uh, will make a process any process uh, rigid enough um, so that um, um, it can um, it, it can basically manufacture real life uh, components the best part about additive manufacture is uh, there are so many processes, right? There, there are so many processes, and each process um, has a niche application. You know, for example, if you, there might be a process uh, where um, you can't use titanium. You know, or there might be a process where you can't uh, use aluminum. You know, like lasers, lasers and aluminum, they have a hate hate relationship. Um, you know, so, something similar to coppers as well. Um, but then on the other side, some processes, uh, you know, like normal MIG processes, um, they struggle with titanium. Um, so yeah, so that that's the beauty of uh, IT manufacture, where uh, you know one part um, can't fit into so many processes, but it, but it can fit into the one best process, uh, both from the cost and uh, the technical standpoint. And, and how do you choose that best process? Like, what's the process of evaluating which processes and materials should I use for this specific application? Like, if I if I take a step back. Um, um, a lot of people ask me also, oh, you know, I mean, uh, in a short span, uh, uh, you worked at uh, a lot of organizations. Uh, but I look at it from a different uh, side. Um, since I worked at different organizations, um, I had, you know, literally hands-on experience working on uh, different processes. And uh, now I'm in a position to guide which process uh, makes sense, you know, from, you know, from the customer standpoint. Um, so if a customer comes um, and comes with a CAD model, and uh, says, hey, which process to use? Uh, the first thing is, um, you know, you have to understand, uh, you know, what's the motivation? <laughs> so what's the motivation, you know, for the customer to come, um, you know, to us and uh, ask, you know, so is the conventional way um, not, not, not going well? Um, in most of the scenarios, um, the customer says, especially for the last two years, the supply chain issues, um, you know, everybody knows about the COVID consequences and um, yeah the lead times are like massive can range anywhere from six to even like 24 months um that's massive and the best thing about additive manufacture is um you know you're cutting down most of the supply chain issues uh, where with the help of one uh, machine um you're cutting down uh, all the intermediate steps and then if i mean mo mo in most of the scenarios um you know additive manufacture is open for design changes but not castings or forgings if you're changing the design, then you'll have to you know, go through everything. Um, so this is one of the good things about uh, manufacture where uh, design changes um, are, are very much flexible. So you look at the part and, um, you know, every process, um, you know, has some design guidelines. Um, you know, if, if it has like large overhangs and it's a complex feature, um, you know, where the feature size is like less than one millimeter or two millimeters, um, it, it becomes, um, you know, a good process for powder bit um, fusion process. It could be laser uh, powder bit or electron beam uh, powder bit fusion process, uh, depending upon the material. Uh, we can picture if it is like titanium, it's, you know, it's all, or nickel based alloys. It's uh, obviously uh, laser, uh, you know, PBF. 
Um, and then if it is a large component, um, most of the PBF processes, uh, systems that are commercially available, um, leaving one or two, um, they can't build more than like, you know, 500 millimeter uh, long components and they're very slow um, as such. So again, this takes Max me to uh, the first question, what's the motivation for RDA manufacture? So if you're, if you're building a part, which takes the same time, um, you know, similar to the conventional way, but then there's no business case, right? You have to, you know, put down, uh, you know, capital costs, the machine costs, and then the, the time per engineer. Uh, so all of this put together will not make a, a good business case. But on the other side, um, if you're building a large scale component, like out of titanium, stickle based alloys, um, you know, where they're very difficult, um, and then the geometries, like maybe like hollow, for example, when uh, you use subtractive manufacturing, uh, there's a lot of material wastage. Yeah. Uh, so in that case, yes, that's the, you know, DED is the best process. Mm -hmm. um, on the other side, if you have like complex component, like small scale component and, uh, you know, the low feature size and you want high tolerances, um, that's when the powder bed fusion processes uh, come. And then on the other side, um, you know, I get to see a lot of people coming from repair applications to repair side. You know, um, the other day I was reading like Optomec, um, they repaired like 10 million um, turbine blades. I mean, like that's a difficult number to believe, but it is, uh, it is, it, it is, it is what it is. Uh, um, so yeah, these processes, they can not only manufacture components, but they can also repair applications. So which will tremendously, you know, reduce the cost as opposed to making new components and reduce the lead times. And then of course it makes our environment green. <laughs> Yeah, that's fascinating. And and you are also, uh, you mentioned that you print uh, uh, very, very large components and, and very innovative components. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. We are, we are proud, um, you know, Additive Technology is proud that, uh, you know, we build uh, very large scale components. Uh, so we use robotics. Um, we use robotics uh, to build uh, large scale components. Uh, the best part about the robotics is uh, the cost of robotics um, is low. Um, and then uh, robots have, uh, you know, the inherent feature of robotics, um, you know, if a robot is, they have six degrees of freedom, um, as opposed to just three axes uh, printing on most of the systems. Um, so this six axis, what it gives rise to is, uh, you know, a seamless way of uh, building components, um, not just in one axis, you know, in all the six axes. You know, whereby, you know, you can print complex features, you know, or like complex overhangs uh, or complex overhang features um, easily. And uh, what we what, what we are doing uh, innovatively is uh, uh, we take a robot and we add a positioner, uh, which gives two more degrees of freedom in addition to the six degrees of freedom, uh, thereby giving eight degrees of freedom where you can uh, make... Eight degrees. Um, yeah, eight degrees of freedom. Yes, absolutely. Um, where you can make uh, supportless parts um, seamlessly, actually. Um, so, yeah, even the positioner um, gives us a lot of advantages. Um, you know, you can turn till the part uh, where you don't have to, you know, move the, you know, the laser head uh, a long way, thereby, you know, controlling the, you know, the process uh, uh, very well, as opposed to moving the laser, uh, laser head. Yeah. Um, so we have a system that comprises of uh, a robotic system, um, and then the positioner, it's all enclosed in a um, cell um, or an enclosure, we say. Um, from health and stand safety standpoint also, um, you know, the cell can, uh, can withstand the lasers. And uh, depending upon the material, um, we use, uh, you know, local shielding or uh, you know, the global shielding. And, um, you know, as we speak, you know, 
we are building a um, we are building a, like a massive component like close to like 10 meter long component um, meter long in work. sections actually <laughs> that's amazing yash mandari business development manager at additive technologies thank you all right thank you very much adar thanks for having me on and uh, uh, have a good rest of your day you too you listen to design to product thank you for being with us today and if you enjoy this episode please follow us on your favorite podcasting channel we share episodes every week and give us a nice rating we're designed to product by giga we talked about additive manufacturing bye bye <laughs>